All What's right. Up? We are here. Will you stop? Episode two. So it's funny. I was thinking on the way, you know, to recording this, you know, what happened this week in wrestling and a lot happened this week in wrestling. I got a lot to go over. I was thinking, you know, Friday night you had takeover. Saturday at the Hall of Fame ceremony, a G1 at the Garden. Sunday you had Mania. Monday you had Raw. Tuesday you had SmackDown. But a lot of other stuff is going on as well. Um, a lot of rumor and innuendo. Let's jump into it right here, Brandon. Uh, AEW. Uh, AEW. Looks the like upstart the, AEW. Yep. Looks like they're going to be getting a two-hour time slot. Rumor and innuendo is it could be TBS or TNT. I'm really excited about this, but but I'm containing my excitement. Let me explain to you why. Um, it's been 18 years since Vince really had any real competition. And for all the TNA Impact Soldiers and the Ring of Honor guys out there and whatever else is out there, I'm not disrespecting their products. I'll get to that in a second. But it's been a long time since Vince really had real competition. It's been a long time since we had a real alternative here in North America. Um, WWE has kind of ran their own show now since March of 2001, since WCW and ECW both went under. Um, you know, then Impact and TNA came along. The reason I'm, how shall I say, uh, hesitant to get too excited about it is this. You know, getting the TV contract, it's huge. Two hours live every week, it's huge. Um, but keep in mind, you know, TNA slash Impact, what they're called now, at certain times in their history, they had a really good roster. A lot of the stars you're watching right now in WWE were all together in TNA at one point, along with Sting and Booker T and Christian, Mick Foley, Kevin Nash, Kurt Angle, et cetera. So you had Hogan and Bischoff and Flair there at one point. you know. And it goes to show, and I think you're seeing that even now at the WWE, that no matter how deep your roster is, if your writing sucks and you're not putting the right people in the right places – you're not going to have a great product. So even though I'm excited about this whole thing with AEW, I, I have to hold back a little bit because I got to see who the bookers are. I got to see who the writing team is. And I got to see the direction it goes. I mean, you look at TNA, they pop up in 2002. It's now 17 years later. And I think their best angle to date was probably your aces and eights. And let's be honest, that really wasn't a great angle. It was probably the best they've ever done. But I wasn't tuning in every week. You know, you know, at the edge of my seat, waiting to see what happens next with aces and eights. And understand, listen, I love professional wrestling. You put me in front of the TV right now and show me an indie card from Central New Jersey with 28 people in the arena and two guys in masks doing really botched up high spots. I'll watch it. So I'm going to watch AEW the same way I watched Impact, the same way I watched Ring of Honor. Just I'm going to hold back my excitement just a little bit until I kind of see how things unravel over there. I compare Impact Wrestling to that girl you've been trying to have a relationship with on and off for 18 years. She makes you promises that she's going to change. Things are going to be great. And then she's sleeping with someone else. It's like how many times can you get burnt by someone or a company? And they just, the shine is off the rose, as they say, when it comes to Impact. No matter what they do, I just don't see it as them being able to do anything. Now, as far as the AEW conversation, I know exactly where you're coming from, and I totally agree. There's all this uh, IWC hype. There's all this hype all over between the Bucks, Jim Ross signed. But until we see what the product is, and it's actually in front of our faces and not just talk, 
then it's you, you got to hold back a little bit, just a little bit hesitant. Well, here's my issue also with AEW. You know, we're, we're what, maybe six weeks away from the all-in pay-per-view. I've heard nothing about this pay-per-view yet. I mean, they've announced no matches. They really haven't announced what uh, guys are going to be on the card. They've announced an arena. They've announced there's going to be a pay-per-view. Um, but, I mean, hell, even Vince is just something six weeks in advance. Well, they, they they did announce the main event is going to be Jericho and Omega. Which I have a hard time getting. Listen, it was a good match in New Japan. Um, I don't know what style AEW is going to put out there. I'm assuming they're going to go with the Japanese hard style. Um, I, listen, we, That's just the thing. What style are they going to do? What presentation are they going to bring that's going to make them different? Right. That, I think that's a lot of the issues we're having with AEW right now, where I'm having an issue getting excited about it. Listen. The, the live time slot, thank God, I need something else to watch. You know, it's probably going to be on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, I assume, with SmackDown going to uh, Friday nights. Whatever station they get on, it's going to be fine. But keep in mind, you know what, TNA, they had a good time slot also. They were on, what, Spike TV Thursday, I think it was, for two hours, right, every Thursday night? Thursday at 8 p.m., yes. So, I mean, they had a good time slot. They had everything going for them. There was a time where I think even Spike TV – was picking up a lot of their um, a lot of the bills they had to pay for uh, advertising like that. So Spike TV put a pretty, uh, I think Bruce Pritchard actually mentioned on one of his podcasts, um, something to wrestle with, that you know they put a pretty nice, um, how shall I say, uh, uh, effort into it. But it just you know they didn't do anything with it. Like I said, you can give me the greatest roster. Listen, you could take WCW's roster in ninety eight ninety nine and look at it. That was a great roster. They just didn't do anything with it because of bad writing. So at the end of the day, you know what? I'm excited about it. It's a great thing for for wrestling, especially in North America. It's bringing things, you know, that maybe we haven't seen before. Listen, we really haven't had a true Japanese horror-style federation in North America. I mean, ECW was probably the closest you had to that. So you know what? This might be something we need in North America. I hope Cody and company and Tony Khan learn from the mistakes of Impact and just to completely go the opposite way of whatever Impact tried to do. Yeah, listen, it's, it's there around, but it just it just didn't work. Listen, we need this. I think it's good for everything. It's good for the business. It's good for wrestlers. It's good for wrestling. Um, there's no downside to this unless we wind up with another TNA. And then at that point, we're just going to puke and cry and whine about it. We'll still watch it, but we won't be happy. Well, you know what I'll do? If if they fail, I'm going to go into my room and I'm going to lay on the floor and have a tantrum. Yeah, speaking of which, so let's, let's <laughs> how's, go to that the for, how's that for a segue? Yeah, I mean, this thing is kind of, I got to be honest, I mean, I may wind up going into a rant on this one. This is so far out of the realm of what I've ever seen in my life. As a, I've been a fan, like I said, my entire life, basically. I have ne- I've heard of wrestlers having a hard time over a finish. I've heard of wrestlers being upset. Listen, Stone Cold Steve Austin walked out on the WWE because they wanted him to do the job with Rock Lesnar, and it wasn't on a pay-per-view. So this is not the first time someone's thrown, you know, a hissy fit in the history of wrestling. I mean, basically, arguably, your biggest name after Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, walked out in the company. Um, but this is ridiculous where, where Sasha Banks, who I affectionately refer to as Bacha Banks, because her, her matches are more like, you know, her matches kind of remind me of those videos you get where it's like a really nasty sports injury and you don't want to watch it, but you know you kind of have to because you're curious to see what happens to the person. That's kind of what her matches yeah, it, remind 
Like that video of the gymnasts from last week. Right. You it's know like, it's going to be bad, but you can't turn away. Like that weightlifter who just broke her arm, you know, doing the weightlifting competition. It's like, yep. you have to see it out of like morbid curiosity. I find that Sasha Banks's matches are more for myself, morbid curiosity than actually anything else. Because honestly, her matches are just literally, they're comic gold sometimes. So, and listen, I'm going to say this not to be any cheerleader, but at least Bailey didn't walk out and have. She may have had the hissy fit in the hotel, but at least she showed up Monday and did her job, quite literally, to Alexa Bliss. Right. But at I least she's still there and doing her job. She may not have liked it, but she didn't run away and go on vacation and bitch about it on Instagram. Listen, she went into business for herself, Sasha, um, which, as we know, you just don't do. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, you're an adult. You're getting paid a significant amount of money. You're basically working for the number one company in the entire world. You're not that talented to begin with. Listen, she has a job because obviously she's hitting a nerve of some audience. My thought process, my opinion on this one, I could be wrong. It could be right. She obviously hits a nerve with young girls. She's not going to hit a nerve with guys 18 to 49 with that demographic. She's not going to hit a nerve, I think, with even women 18 to 49. I think she's hitting that, that young girl demograph, probably selling a decent amount of merchandise to them, which is the only reason I can think of why she has a job there. Um, it's only, to me, it's only a matter of time for she kills herself or somebody else in the ring. Um, I mean, on, on Instagram, she's literally showing up week in and week out with some sort of new botch. But when I read, and listen, this could be just, you know, complete exaggeration by the IWC. They've been known to do that, obviously. I, I know. It could be just people making up stories. There's no actual proof. Right. Like, I was talking to see a video of her laying on the floor throwing a hissy fit. I have to take it with a grain of salt. But if that is true, we're an adult woman is on the floor of a locker room at the biggest show of the year, literally having a tantrum like a two-year-old because she's told she's going to lose a fake championship. I mean, let's be realistic here. What do championships mean in this current state of wrestling, okay? 30 years ago, if you were the number one guy, you were the champion. Hulk Hogan was the number one guy in the WWF. He was the champion. Ric Flair was the number one guy in the NWA slash WCW. He was the champion. And then so on and so forth. You're at a point now where they basically put the belt on just about anybody who gets even a reasonable pop these days. I've never in my life heard of a hissy fit on this level where somebody was upset about losing a tag team championship. To the point where you're laying on the floor and throwing a hissy fit. I'm not going to get into the whole professionalism aspect of this whole thing. But what is the issue here? Like since when do people really care? About wins and losses. Is she really that spoiled? Like that's that's what it comes to, I think. And I mean, you you and I off off this podcast for many many times have had arguments about entitlement in today's wrestlers. And this is what I will have to agree with you on this one. This is about her feeling entitled that she should have that championship for a long run. You know, it's funny when Vince did his podcast with Steve Austin, he mentioned how spoiled. This generation was how they weren't going for the brass ring. And you know my opinion on this WWE roster. The current roster as is right now is definitely not one of the more talented rosters they ever had. It's not the worst roster they ever had. I mean, listen, new generation roster was on a different level of bad. I find this to be a very mediocre roster. Um, and we'll get into my feelings on this roster, I think, later on in our cast when we discuss what we want to discuss today. But at the end of the day, I think there's a very entitled roster who 
doesn't deserve a lot of what they think they deserve. What I would do, if personally, in my opinion, if I was running WWE, I would hold her to her contract and keep her home for three years or whatever's left on that contract. Yeah, I'll even, pay the downside. I bring, bring, bring her in and job her out every week, every pay-per-view. I'd have a working SmackDown Raw every pay-per-view and job the shit out of her. Yeah, but if she's not willing to show up for work, you know, like kind of like what Neville did. He was out of the spotlight for a year. Well, then they hold her to her contract. And if she doesn't show up, she's in breach of contract and doesn't get paid. Simple as that. And you don't let her out of the contract. You don't let her go to AEW. You don't let her go to ROH. You don't let her even go to Impact to make money. You keep her in the closet, put away for the next three years until she is totally forgotten about. Right. Or like I said, you simply job her out. Let's another example of somebody spoiled. Dean Ambrose. This guy pops up in 2012. They give him everything on a silver platter, and he's whining and leaving? I, I mean, if it's true that AEW is offering him $6 million, hey, I get it. There's no way Vince is giving this guy $6 million a year. Now, you and I are not big Dean Ambrose fans. I'm not going to sit here and say I hate Dean Ambrose. But when he comes on TV, yeah, I'm not going to sit there and go, wow, what's about to happen next? I think the highlight of his WWE career was when Bobby Lashley on Raw said that he was going to take care of Renee for her. Her reaction was actually great. I think that was the highlight of the, of the night on Raw. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit when we go over Raw. But, I mean, Dean Ambrose leaving, you know, it, it's almost like if he's going to get that kind of money, hey, can't blame the guy. But it's another example of these guys really thinking that they control the industry. I'm going to actually go the flip on that on the Dean Ambrose situation. What if he's just burnt out? He, he gave them plenty of notice. He wasn't renewing a contract. He's done everything they've asked of him. He's jobbed the entire time. I think he's won one match, and that was that Shield reunion match. But in the last three, four months, he has jobbed out every single match. If he doesn't go to AEW, what if he just needs time to recharge the batteries? I don't, I don't think he did it wrong. I don't think he burnt that bridge. I'll tell you what, then. If, if he's burnt out, then that shows me how weak this generation of wrestlers are and how weak this roster is burnt out guys in the WWF back in the eighties were on the road 300 days a year doing two to three house shows a day. Sometimes burnt out. He's been on the main roster for seven years. How what does about somebody Brock? Brock ran all off after two another whiner, but the bottom line is seven years. You're burnt out. Hulk Hogan was main eventing for what? 25 years. Come on. If you're burnt out for seven years and I'm running a wrestling federation, I'm going to keep you away from me as far as possible. To me, it just shows weakness and no character. You know, but that's just how this roster is now. Like I said, it's a mediocre roster. They don't have a lot of character. And they really haven't had to work hard for what they've gotten. And we'll get into that a little bit. Um, so last week, we have a takeover Friday night. Uh, wasn't a bad show. Meltzer, of course, lost his mind had an orgasm and said that... Uh, that I think at the main event, what was it, Gargano and uh, and was it Cole was was the greatest match in WWE history. Okay, I I want to chime in, Avi. You know very well how big of a supporter of NXT I am. True or not? Absolutely. Okay, you I'm sorry. Cole versus Gargano was not a five-and-a-half-star match. It was not the greatest match in NXT history, let alone WWE history. I think Gargano's match against Almas at TakeOver 
last Royal Rumble in Philly, in Philly was better. I think his first match with Ciampa after the injury was much better than this two out of three falls match. This match was all boiled down to freaking the last five minutes. And I think Melter is giving it five and a half stars for a five-minute ending because of how hot the end got. But the match in its entirety, these guys were not meshing, in my opinion. And I'm not, I'm one of the biggest NXT fans. You and I fight about it all the time. But that match was not five, three stars. Three and a half would be pushing it, in my opinion. Oh, listen, if, if you had to ask me what the greatest match in WWE history is, I'm probably going to stick with Austin and uh, Hart WrestleMania 13. I quit match. Um, it was a good match. I definitely would not give it five and a half stars. I think I've seen better matches in NXT. I think Gargano and Ciampa. Their I quit match was a better match than that. Um, listen, NXT, for what it's worth, that was a pretty good show. Um, I don't understand the orgasm the IWC and guys like Meltzer are having over it. I, I'm actually, I, th- I think I might be the first pay-per-view I ever saw of any kind where every match was a face versus face match. The, fir- the, top, the top three at the top of the card were the last two. You had your antagonist and protagonist, but... The first three matches, you had face versus face, yeah. Yeah, I mean, overall, like I said, I think it was a pretty good card. It was definitely entertaining. Um, it got the message, you know, they got the message across. They, they all had good matches. Um, you know, I, I don't grovel and go crazy over NXT. I think they put on a pretty good show. Uh, the only issue I think I have at NXT at times is that it tries to be almost like a hybrid of that New Japan hard style and WWE slow plotting style and i think that's where things get a little lost is because the wwe style and they've always had their own style you can go way back to the 70s even where they always had their own unique style i just don't think you can mesh anything with it and i think when you try to mesh that hard style from japan with that slow plotting style you wind up either with a match that makes no sense where both guys are either overselling or underselling or a match where you're slow as molasses for 10 minutes and then you have three minutes of high spots and the match is over and you've kind of lost the story there. So that's where I think things with me and NXT kind of fall apart at times. But overall, it was a pretty decent show. Um, you know, we had the uh, the Hall of Fame on Saturday. It was a decent show. I fell asleep during Bruce, the fucking Barber Beefcakes uh, Hall of Fame speech. It definitely was one of the more painful speeches to listen to. Overall, fun time. We also have with Bret Hart. Not cool. Some maniac decides to go jump a guy who's 60 some odd years old. Cancer and, and stroke survivor. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then from there, you had the G1 at MSG. How you in- doing? Interesting you- stuff happening there. Certified uh, G and a bona fide stud because you can't teach that. Yeah, these two guys show up at AEW. Oh, not AEW. They show up at uh, the G1. Um, obviously, we all know this was not a shoot because absolutely no security or police jumped over there. So we, and those punches looked about as worked as possible. I like that they were going with this. You know, there was a sold-out crowd. The crowd was really into it. Typical New York crowd. Loud and proud. Lots of chance. Pretty good matches. You know, we use Jay White fans to so seeing him lose. Uh, wasn't great for me, but the match was a good match. Uh, overall, very good, very enjoyable card. I thought, yeah, that they had a 30-minute ladder match for the ROH title. Matt, Matt Taven won the belt. Uh, Okada got the belt back from Jay White in another 30-minute 
match, the Gorillas of Destiny became dual champions. And yeah, I you know, know it's it's when I look at stuff like G One and I look at New Japan, and it gets me back to thinking about AEW. It's just the G One was good. Raw, you know, Ring of Honor puts on good shows. I think the issue you're having is that in North America, especially, you need a story. It doesn't matter what the match. You can't just throw random matches out there. You need a story. And that's where I think Ring of Honor kind of falls a little short at times. They just don't give you enough of the story. You know, if you're throwing two guys out there for the sake of throwing two guys out there, you're going to wind up in almost like the story version of a spot fest. Where how can two guys who don't have a feud get into the ring and tell a story? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that's where I really hope AEW doesn't go because the thing with the G1, the matches are good. Everything was good. You didn't get a lot of backstory, though, with a lot of those matches, if you notice. With AEW, I really hope Cody has half of what Dusty had as far as creativity. And then I think AEW will go far. Right, but that brings me back to G1. You know, with G1, it was almost like a, I wouldn't say a call it a random show, maybe a semi-random show to a degree. You know what I'm saying? Where it just seemed like a lot of it was thrown together. There wasn't a lot of backstory, and that kind of takes the fans out of it a bit. It's almost like, you know, when, when two faces go at it, the crowd really can't get that into it. I think it also hurts the fact that they're not on a major network in the New York market when you're at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that that's on. I mean, listen, Sinclair owns ROH. How they don't can't get them on a major uh, media outlet is beyond me. That's just mind boggling. Um, so Sunday WrestleMania. You know what? I mean, the IWC. I heard a lot of people go around saying they weren't happy with this card, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going crazy with specifics. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good WrestleMania. I'd give it a solid B. Much better than expected. You know, the only letdowns really in that card, I, me and you thought it was going to be a great match. We both agreed on it, and it fell apart. Um, Drew McIntyre yeah. and Roman Reigns. Yeah. Roman really disappointed me. I thought there was going to be a far better match. I, th- I feel like there was a story to tell there, and they just couldn't. Listen, styles make fights. You see it in UFC, in sports, when, you know, two teams go at it, it's just, you know, styles make fi- make, make styles make the fight, like I said, and you can take two guys who you think are going to be the best match ever, and it just falls apart. You know, I, overall, WrestleMania, though, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, old school John Cena, I thought that was actually kind of fun to watch. There was The only issue I have, I think, is, is, the, is the last match, the way it ended. You know, that the referee allegedly botching it and the shoulder coming up. I think they could have done a better ending with that. Otherwise... It was a good show. I give it a solid B. There was really nothing in that show that I said, wow, this really sucks. In my opinion, they they need to try to cut an hour out of WrestleMania. And that's what happened, I think, in the main event. It went until 1230. It was seven and a half hours, the longest WWE pay-per-view in history. And it was just too much to... I mean, by after the middle of the matches, after Brian and Kofi... The crowd just seemed dead. They were just spent. It's hard yeah. having it there for eight hours. Listen, we were spent after that. I mean, we're sitting on the couch. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're sitting on the couch watching, nice and comfortable, you know. And I mean, it just listen. I, like I said, it was entertaining enough. Um, it wasn't a bad show. I give it a solid B. It got the job done. It was a fun show to watch. Yeah, it definitely ran a little too long. 
Um, but overall, listen, it was WrestleMania. It was a good time. I think a lot of – it was one of those weird WrestleManias. You know, it's funny. I was listening to um, something to wrestle with this week when, when Bruce and Conrad were going over Stone Cold Steve Austin, 98-99. And uh, Bruce brings up a good point where he goes, you know, you have certain WrestleManias that are kind of the end of something. You have certain WrestleManias that are the beginning of something. And you have certain WrestleManias where nothing begins, nothing ends. They just kind of happen. I kind of feel like this was one of those WrestleManias where – you know, not, not much not, not much is going to change. I just feel like it's just one of those things. I think more is going to change this week with the Superstar Shake-Up coming up than at WrestleMania. You know, it wasn't the changing of an era, like a WrestleMania 14 or a WrestleMania 3 or anything like that. Um, it wasn't the end of an era, like a WrestleMania 14 or, or you know, even like a WrestleMania uh, 17. It was just one of those WrestleManias that just happened. Nothing major really happened on it, if you think about it. It was just a regular WrestleMania. I have a question for you. How do you have a good, decent WrestleMania, and then the next night on Raw, you have perhaps the worst episode of a post-WrestleMania Raw ever? Yeah, I mean, the bait and switch on Raw was off the chain, actually. Um, I mean, I heard half the fans walked out once it became a tag team match, and the ones that stayed behind basically chanted AEW the whole time. Um yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the two highlights of Raw was, like I said earlier, Bobby Lashley and that Renee Young comment, and her her reaction, I think, was absolutely hysterical. And I got to be honest, I'm, Sami Zayn cracked me up. That promo was absolutely hilarious. I actually read today that Vince has given Sami carte blanche to write his own promos. So that's supposedly coming right from Sami. Um, I guess I, I I don't know I don't I don't care where it comes from I thought it was actually very funny, um, definitely very very. It, it was definitely one of the funnier promos, probably his best promo to date. Uh, whoever writes it, great, did a great job. If it was him, great. If it was one of the forty man writing team, that's fine too. Um, I had fun with that one. I thought that was probably the highlight of the entire night. Otherwise, that was just that was a painful episode of Raw. Yeah, that, that just that that I don't know what that that was probably the worst post. WrestleMania Monday Night Raw I have ever seen in my entire life. Is the bird puppet Bray? You think it's Bray, the bird puppet? Uh, I have to assume it is. I mean, I can't think of anything else that would make sense. But then again, with these days and this writing team and all the crap they're putting out there, who the hell honestly knows? I mean, honestly, they throw stuff out there. You know, it's just, I mean, why is Baron Corbin on TV every single week? Just please explain that to me. I got no answer. I mean, I don't know. The Baron Corbin thing kills me. Um, Lar Sullivan finally shows up. It took him long enough. I mean, the guy was dealing with anxiety issues, so I'm not going to knock him or anything like that. But uh, he beats up Kurt Angle. And then the next night, he goes on SmackDown and beats up some people. I mean, I mean, I guess well, there's some. Yeah, I mean, it, it I just Sullivan's—he's got a problem with the attitude error. That's what it is. He didn't—he wasn't a fan of the attitude error. He's beating up attitude error guys. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like I said, it, 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 it was a very weak episode of Raw. Um, SmackDown, equally as weak, but at least they didn't pull a bait and switch. He just kind of knew it was going to suck right from the get-go. Um, listen, this week is the Superstar shakeup, so we'll see what happens. Um, I'm guessing it looks like Braun's going to SmackDown. Uh, that's probably going to be your biggest switch over, I think. I don't think anything major is really going to happen. You think Braun will be the biggest name moving? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Braun's going to be your biggest one going. Um, but otherwise, I mean, listen, it, it's it's it brings us back to you know to the roster that's going on now, and you know one of the things we we both want to discuss NXT and and, and WWE development. And uh, I, actually, I actually did homework this week. I um, did my homework. This week. You did. You know. You know. If you look at the history of wrestling, you know. Back in the days, you had the indies that were basically your feeders to WWF, NWA, AWA, what have you. And the, the, the way I, from what I read, the, the way to get into the business, you either found a school, not many existed back then, um, where you found someone to show you the way and you worked your way up. And then probably around the late 80s, early 90s, schools started to pop up like uh, Johnny Rods popped up in Brooklyn. A little shout out to Johnny Rods and his boys. They actually have a show coming up. Uh, Saturday, May 11th at the world-famous Gleason's Gym, 130 Water Street in Brooklyn. You got Mayhem. Interested in tickets? Hit us up. Um, with that, you know, once the school started to pop up, the guys were getting better, you know, tryouts and things like that. I know Johnny Roz, a lot of his guys would go to IWCCW. That was coming out of the uh, New England area. Then from there, ECW, they started to pop up. And if you think about it logically, a feeder system, for a major wrestling federation, makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Um, I know at some point in the 90s, the USWA set up a, a um, an agreement with WWF at the time that they were going to use them as a feeder system. They were basically train guys. There was a guy down there, I believe his name was uh, Flex Kavanaugh. Hmm. Uh, Flex Kavanaugh. It sounds, it's, that's a rocky kind of name. Yeah, I believe he turned into something big. Um, not sure if we ever heard from him again. I don't know. He might be somewhere in Hollywood now, for all you know. Yeah, he's, he's probably just an extra on some movies. Never heard of him again at Flex Cabin. <laughs> you, you know what's very interesting, by the way, about the USWA-WWE relationship back then is that it actually gave birth, believe it or not. It was almost like a, a dress rehearsal to a certain character We'd all get to know and love very, very much a few years later. I believe it was around 93 or 94, where at the time there was a talent exchange along with being a feeder system. You had guys like Randy Savage going down there. Bret Hart went down there. Razor Ramon went down there. Um, I think even Diesel may have gone down there for a couple of times. But there was a whole big exchange. And, there was, and they had a manager with them. I don't know if you know about this or not. You can actually YouTube this. But there was a manager, and their manager was a WWF announcer. Oh, can I say it? Can I say it? Because I actually know this. I actually know this answer. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. That's right. The dry rehearsal of what would become Mr. McMahon. Yeah, believe it or not, he came down. He wasn't the owner of the WWF. He actually was the uh, an announcer. You can YouTube this. They actually have a YouTube special or where they basically give you the entire feud he was down there for, and it was actually the beginnings of the Mr. McMahon um, character. And, and it's, it's it's Mr. McMahon to a T. If you look at his interviews, look the way he speaks, that's Mr. McMahon for you. Um, that relationship continued, I would say, probably around until 97, maybe 98. And then from there, I believe Ohio Valley started, and at the same time, WCW actually started the power plant. ECW then started... Uh, I believe it was, was it the House of Hardcore, whatever it was called. Mojo um, or something like that. All right, I got to stop. But you're coming in way broken up. You there? I'm here. Sorry about that. 
but we're good now. All right. So going forward now, so you have the power plant. Yeah, the ECW was a house of hardcore. Um, so now, from what I understand, the WWE developmental starts around '97, I believe it was, where the you have Dory Funk ran the Funkin' Dojo. And I believe you had a couple guys by the name of Val Venus, Edge, and Kurt Angle, I believe, were part of that class. Never heard of them. <laughs> and then from there, I believe you went to Ohio Valley, Heartland Wrestling, and then Championship Wrestling from Florida, or rather Florida Championship Wrestling, um, and then NXT, if I'm not mistaken, correct? FCW Florida became NXT once Triple H rebranded in 2012. And... You know, I look at NXT, and I like the idea in theory. In theory, you're basically setting yourself up where you have a farm system, like they do in baseball, basketball, hockey, you know, even football now starting a farm system. And it makes sense. You know, if a guy gets hurt, you have someone to bring up to replace them. And by the same token, when the guy is ready to recover, he can go down there, get rehabbed, et cetera, et cetera. It works out great. I just don't think NXT, for what it's worth, is being utilized well enough. Here's my take on it. I like the theory, like I said, of, of developing guys, developing their characters. And then when you bring them up, they've already been on TV. They've already been exposed to the WWE audience. They already understand the WWE style, quote unquote. The issue I have with this is as follows. There are some guys, and this happens in baseball and hockey as well, that should not go to that main level. There are guys, like we both agree, Gargano, Ciampa, don't belong on the WWE main roster. They're better off in NXT. Their style suits NXT. And if they go to the main roster, they're just going to get lost there. I think Neville would have been better suited never leaving NXT. Um, by the same token, I think there are guys now in the main roster who should get sent down to NXT. My theory is this. If you're on the main roster, there's a reason for you to be there. When Vince Russo was running WWE and WCW, or at least doing the writing for them, his big thing was everybody should have an angle. And I kind of like that. But my thing is this. If you're on TV, you're on TV for a reason. If we're going to give you an angle, we're going to give you an angle for a reason. If we have nothing to do with you right now, why not send that person back to NXT or to NXT and throw them in an angle that might work out down there? Maybe they just got to get down there, recharge their batteries, renew their gimmick, what have you. Also, when you take somebody off TV for a certain amount of time off the main roster, that actually enhances their character sometimes. But my whole thing is, like I said, is that when you're on the main roster, you should be there for a reason. Right now, you have too many guys in the main roster that are literally taking up space. In my opinion, those guys should be in NXT right now working their way up. Where I think NXT, like I said earlier, falls apart is they're almost trying to do a hybrid style with the wrestling, where I feel like a lot of matches are trying to do that Japanese hardcore mixed with that slow plotting WWE style. And like I said, you get like a 13-minute match where it's 10 minutes of the WWE style and then three minutes of one high spot after another. And it almost kind of loses the story you're trying to tell. And that's when you get five and a half stars because that's exactly what Cole and Gargano was. The first two falls were completely like that completely slow plotting, and then you do the last five minutes of the high spot. So I'm actually agreeing with you on this right now, that the combination just isn't mish mishmashing correctly. Now, I think another place where NXT um, is giving us issues, and you're seeing it right now with, with, with Bacha and even with Dean Ambrose to a degree, 
um, is that it almost spoils this generation. Think about it. To come up and become a professional wrestler back in the day, look at the story of Mick Foley, where he started from. Look at Stone Cold Steve Austin, where he started, right? Look where The Rock started. Look where Triple H had to get started. Look where Taker had to get started. You know, these guys at the start making, you know, they're making $40, $50 a night. And driving them three and a half hours to make another $30, $40 a night. You hear stories of Sting and the Ultimate Warrior sleeping in their car and buying rotisserie chicken from the local supermarket just to get food. You know, and here you have this whole generation of quote-unquote superstars that are basically spoon-fed their gimmick, spoon-fed their angles, spoon-fed their outfits, spoon-fed everything. I'm not sure what the starting salary is in NXT. I'm sure they're not making millions, but I'm sure they're making a pretty decent salary down there. And it definitely is a lot more than $50 a night. And it almost spoils them, where they're basically going from, you know, a nobody indie wrestler right to NXT, which is a step below WWE. And then right on TV with the takeovers and the weekly shows, like I said, look at all these guys, Steve Austin, Triple H, Taker. They all had to figure out their angle on their own. Nobody gave them their angle. It was almost like, okay, here's your name. Make it work. Where in NXT, it's like, okay, here's your name. Here's how we're going to make it work. You know, and now I see, and you're starting to see the the fruits of that with Bacha Banks lying on the floor, having a, 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 a... a two-year-old, you know, meltdown and then going on vacation because she doesn't like the way a finish was at WrestleMania. She got her WrestleMania bonus. I'm pretty sure that WrestleMania bonus more than makes up for the fact she had dropped the titles at WrestleMania, only the biggest show of the year. There's plenty of people right now that would switch spots with her in a second, being on WrestleMania, losing the tag team titles. I totally get where you're coming from. And yeah, I agree. A lot of these guys work a minor promotion, a minor indie promotion for six months. Freaking Regal sees them, brings them up. They don't pay their dues. Everyone you show. Think about it. If, if you got a job as a CEO of a company right out of college, making a half million a year, you would have no clue what it's like to struggle to work your way up. And a lot of these guys and girls that are coming up now didn't go through any of the struggles that any of the old wrestlers went through. Even Hulk Hogan. I mean, the guy had his ankle broken his first day with, with in his wrestling school. You know, and this, you know, and these guys now, like you talk about Dean Ambrose being burnt out. These guys are so pampered and so well taken care of now. You're burning out from being on the road for seven years. I mean, come on. You know, and I think it's going to hurt the WWE in the long run NXT unless they change their approach to NXT. I think for NXT to really work to where they need it to work, it has to be a a real farm system. If you have no reason to be on the main roster, that means that you have no actual angle to go to right now. You got to go to NXT and figure things out. But by the same token, just because you're in NXT and you're up and coming, it doesn't mean you're going to fit on that main roster. Take someone like, like, like Gargano. I don't see anywhere Gargano fits on the main roster. Not at all, unless they slap him in 205 Live and then he's never seen from again because no one watches it. You know, I mean, I look at his character development. I look at his the way he works his matches. And honestly, that's a guy who I could see better off, believe it or not, at Impact or New Japan. I think he's fine at NXT, but on the main roster, I think he's absolutely... Uh, if I, I look at the NXT roster right now, you know, and I mean, you look at a guy like Velveteen Dream. 
honestly, where do you, do you even see this guy in the main roster? Um, do I see him? I yes, I see Vince loving this guy, but I also understand where you're coming from and the exact point you're making. And from your point of view, yeah, he shouldn't be on the main roster. You know, I think NXT also lately over the last couple of years, their um, character development definitely lacks. You know, who, what was the last great character to come up from NXT? Like, was it really uh, Bray? And they blew it with him up there. I was a big fan of Bray. Now, that was a guy who really couldn't stay in NXT. He was, to me, that that's a guy that does not need to stay in NXT. Does not. That, that's a real true uh, WWE um, character. They blew it with that guy. At the at the end of the day, that was a guy that absolutely 100% belongs in the main roster, and they never should have touched his character. But there were other guys that, like you look, even Shayna Baszler, or Baszler, would she fit on the main roster? I don't know. I don't know. The only way she would fit would be a lackey to, to playing Arn Anderson to Ronda Rousey's Ric Flair, if you will. But on her own, yeah, I just don't see it either. You know, I, I look at the War Raiders. I think they're great. I like the War Raiders a lot. I absolutely do not see them on the main roster right now. And I agree to your point with that you made a few minutes ago about guys who have no direction being in NXT. A couple of years ago, they did that with Zack Ryder. They brought him down to NXT. He freaking teamed up with Mojo. Even though Mojo's a waste right now. Well, God, he's always been a waste. Now he's staring at himself in the mirror. Also, Tyson Kidd. They brought Tyson Kidd back down to NXT. He had a good six-month run in NXT as a main eventer. He would never have been a main eventer on the main roster. So I look at the roster now, you know, a guy like Adam Cole... You know, I don't think Aleister Black belongs in the main roster. I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the roster now. Is there anybody I could see right now that really might fit in on that main roster? Ricochet, to a degree, I think does fit there. I think Ricochet is okay to bring up. I think he was ready. Um, you know, Velveteen Dream, I don't see it. Ciampa, I don't see it. Gargano, I don't see it. I mean, Chomp, we may never see ever again, but that's a different, you know, such you know, uh, conversation. Um, you know, I, I'll give you a guy who I could see coming up to the main roster and actually finding success, believe it or not. And you're going to think I'm crazy, but I honestly see actually a future for this guy. They may have to tweak his character and play around with it, but I think once this guy finds himself, he's going to be a major player. Matt Riddle. Yeah, he's got he's got that down. In time, not yet. And no. I hope they don't mess him up. He's a few years down there. Yeah, he's a few years away. I give him a good, you know, three to five year. And that's another thing. I think NXT is bringing up some of these guys too fast. In my opinion, you should not be in NXT for anything less than three years before you come up. Unless you're some sort of, you know, out of this world, can't miss, like Brock Lesnar type superstar. Although, And Brock Lesnar spent, what, two years down in Ohio Valley? Something like that, yeah. And John Cena, same thing. John Cena, actually, I mean, he was in, he was out in California, uh, went over to Ohio Valley. He was probably in, in the, in, you know, the minor leagues, quote unquote, for a good. Time. 
I think you should spend minimum three to five years in NXT if you're ready to come up. Matt Riddle, I think, is two or three years away. But when he does come up, I think Matt Riddle is going to be a major player. I'm going to go out on a limb right now. I can easily see Matt Riddle within five years main eventing and winning the championship at WrestleMania. WrestleMania 40? You're calling WrestleMania 40? No, no, no. I think I, I hope not. I think he should be up later than that. Um, no, I think WrestleMania 40 is good timing for him. Now that I think of it, he I think he has to tweak his character. His in-ring stuff is fine. They have to tweak his character a little bit. But I think he's a guy that can come up and definitely, you know, do some damage, so to speak. Um, Velveteen Dream, you know how I feel about him. I do not see him on that main roster. I think he's an NXT lifer. Um, and there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. There shouldn't be anything no. wrong with being NXT lifer. Gargano has said he wants to be NXT for life. He doesn't want to go to the main roster. Listen, if you're at NXT for 10 years and you carve out good, a good career for yourself, you're basically on the second biggest organization in North America. If you think about it right now, NXT is your number two in America. Um, and let's you know, be look, real. It's still WWE. Obviously. Come on. Uh, but there's a, it's different, though. It's on a smaller scale. I think the matches are a little different. The angles are very the same. Um, the characters are very much the same. I'm looking at some of the women wrestlers that are on this the the NXT. I'm not looking even involved looking at NXT UK. I don't think I've watched one thing from them. Um, there's really uh, Kari Sane. Maybe I could see on the main roster at some point in the near future. Um, I bet you see her on Tuesday. Speaking of Kari Sane and Io Shirai, I bet they're the ones that Paige brings in. I could see that. I could, I wouldn't mind seeing her. I could see her forming a tag team actually with Asuka, and they go after the tag titles. Um, I doubt you'll see the one of them falling on the floor like a little kid. If that happens, by the way, <laughs> you know, I, I look at the tag team situation at NXT. It's got a it's a weak tag team division. Um, I think the War Raiders, unfortunately for them, are going to come up real soon. I can probably see them losing the belt team in the next takeover and coming up by SummerSlam or right after SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Um, I like them. I just don't see where they fit on the main roster right now. I find they're they're kind of like a carbon copy of another tag team on the on the roster. Who am I thinking of? Uh, you uh, talking about AOP? Ah, uh, close. Give me another one. Who? The Ascension? No, come on. Give me another one. Big guys, yellow outfits. Oh my god, why am I drawing such a blank? <laughs> Come on. Uh, big guys yellow outfits. I can't big think. Big guys yellow outfits. Yellow and black, big guys. Come on, help me out. I I'm completely drawing a blank. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm old. Leave me alone. I'm not, I can't give it to you. It's it's gonna hurt me too much to give to you. Are they raw SmackDown guys? Oh, boy. I don't know if I can give you this hint. I wish we had, I wish we had some callers right now to go off on you. <laughs> I wish I would love for people to go off on me. Trust me. Oh, man. Come on. Think. Two big guys right now. They're on the main roster. They're not getting a lot of notoriety, although they should. Holy smokes. I, you're going to have to give this to me, dude. I can't think of it right now. Oh, my Lord. Come on. We, think, you know, think, you know I have memory issues. Come on. <laughs> think, 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 think. 
Okay. Anyone want to call in and help me out, guys? No. no, no. I'm gonna give it. Gotta figure it out. Go right now and look. I'm I'll, I'll, on the SmackDown roster. I believe they're on. Yeah, they're on SmackDown. And you look up at the tag teams, and you tell me who I'm talking about. When you figure out who it is, it's actually gonna gonna kill you. But even with that, you know, it's like. I just I look at NXT and like I said, it was funny because for a while they brought up a lot of guys that we see now in the main roster. And it's almost like that feeding frenzy's kind of gone. And what you have now just it isn't that great down there. It's almost like they cleaned out the roster is what it almost came down to. I blame Vince for that. Because I remember reading that Triple H fought tooth and nail to keep Oscar down in NXT. And Vince wanted her so bad. Listen, they were doing fine with NXT at first. Um, I mean, not with NXT, but with Asuka at first. And then they, they just blew it. I mean, that match in WrestleMania against Charlotte, that, that should have been one of those where she's in the figure four for 20 minutes and passes out to the pain. Um, they blew it with that one. Then they take the belt off right before WrestleMania again. That just, ah, that, that was a giant mess. That was an absolute giant mess. You know, it's, it's, it's like I say, I think in theory, NXT is good. Um, I, I just think you're, you're at a point now where uh, it, it's just, they have to figure out where they're going to go with it. You know, you can't sit there and have a farm system for the sake of a farm system and just constantly pull guys out of the farm system and not refurbish it. And that's where I think NXT is right now. I can say right now, that's probably the weakest roster NXT's ever had. Well, you in the last few months, you've pulled out six guys, seven guys from NXT. You basically, Vince is basically doing to NXT what he did to the territories and poaching the talent. Yeah, problem is he, he's bringing guys up that are just way, way, way um, not ready yet. Dana Brooke is a good example. She should never have came up on that main roster. She was nowhere even close to being ready. She should never have came up. That's one I could think of right off my head. The Ascension. The minute they came up, they were a joke. They went from being top tag team for a year in NXT to being literally a joke with Fandango. Listen, I'll tell you right now, the oil pain. I like them a lot in NXT. Since they've been up, I've not been happy with the way they've been. Uh... I hope this injury... So whoever one is injured is good for them, and they end up coming back, and they get hopefully rehashed into something better. Yeah, they, they're not. Uh, they they they've been treated right. But by the way, did you figure out who that tag team is? No, I still can't figure it Come out. Come on, dude, big guys. They look just like the War Raiders. Come on, think they they came up. God, maybe six months ago or so. You're not talking about the Bludgeon Brothers, are oh, you? Oh, I know the Bludgeon Brothers. You're killing me right now. I cannot believe you don't know who this is. You need to just tell me. I can't figure this out. Right now does not know who it is. You need to help me out. Maybe we should ask Izzy. He seems to be the big mark these days. He thinks AEW is a joke. Well, none of our listeners know who he is, so I don't think that's going to help us right now. <laughs> right, you got to just give this to me. I don't know if I can. I'm going to have to sweat this one out a little bit. Uh, I can't. It's yellow. 
He's not even thinking right now. Bar? Are you talking about the bar? No, no, not the bar. You're killing me. You're killing me, Small. Just, just give it to me. Come on. Oh man, I wish we had callers to call in right now. <laughs> well, you know, with like I said, I think both of us do kind of agree that right now NXT is not um, being treated the way it should be treated. I think there are better ways to bring guys up than they're doing right now. I think guys are getting rushed up too fast. I think once they get up there, it's almost like, okay, they're up here. Uh, now what? You know, if you're going to bring guys up, have a plan for them. You know, that, that was always, you know, that's always always Triple H's thing. When he wanted guys to come up, he wanted them to have vignettes and a plan. But Vince just seems to want to bring guys up because something new. They need something shiny and new. Lacey Evans, for weeks, has done nothing. Nikki Cross is a great character, and they do nothing with her except have her standing in the back watching Kofi King. You know I'm a huge fan of Nikki Cross. Nikki Cross, to me, can honestly be um, – I think she could be a star. I'll be honest with you. I really think she's got the makings of an absolutely legitimate superstar. Like, her character is perfect. She's a psychotic little thing. How could you not love it? Here's a better question. What about EC3? They bring EC3 up for what? He's you barely know, been on TV. It's funny you bring up EC3. You know, it's like there were so many times in, in TNA where he was in the cusp of kind of grabbing. I was I was like, okay, this guy's got it. It's just I feel like he he he's just he's missing something always with his character. And you know, I'll tell you this, they were reporting that. Uh, main event this week, they actually put Spud with him again. So I wonder if that's going to be a thing for him. You know, it's funny. I've always looked at EC3 like that guy that, you know, it, it's like you almost think he's going to get over and then at the last second, like, nah, not ready, not him. You know, it happened in TNA. It's happening in WWE right now. I remember they, they, they did something where uh, I think he was hitting on, uh, what's her name, um, Mandy Rose. They could have turned that into something. All right, we're back. All right. Not sanity. Um, I'm going to give you sanity on this one. Yeah, I just. But there, there's another thing. You did one, one little promo saying sanity is coming, and you've done nothing with them. You had the three of them job to the Miz two weeks ago. Right, and that's why I wouldn't want you know the War Raiders coming up because honestly, I think they're a talented team. I actually like them a lot. They were great at Takeover. Um, that match, you know, they actually carried that match to be quite honest with you. And I think Vince would absolutely just bury those guys. Although I think those guys would be better served as heels, by the way. And let's be real: if they go up, who the hell do they have in the tag team division? There's literally nobody else. There's nothing else. Um, like I said, this is why I think AEW, you know, the, the timing is perfect for AEW. I think if they hit the right chord and the whole thing, listen, you're only as good as your hottest angle. That's what it comes down to in wrestling. If you look at, at the golden age of, of wrestling throughout, it's always going to be what's your hottest angle. You know, your, your golden age of the 80s, it was Hogan Andre, Hogan Savage. I mean, granted, Hogan was just basically American pop culture. 
uh, on a different level. But basically, it was you know, take Hogan and don't give him any hot feuds. He's not as hot as he can be. You know, Andre really took it to the next level. Savage took him to the next level, and so on and so forth. You know, even if you go new generation, you know, the Hart Michaels feud basically carried new generation to a degree. And then attitude, of course, there's Austin against McMahon. Um, then the Rock pops up, and him and McMahon have their issues. Then him and Foley you go Rock and Sock. You know, so there's different. You know, when you have a hot angle, it feeds into other angles. You know, you look at the NWO, for instance. That was a hot angle, but that also helped out the Luchadors, uh, the other cruiserweights, and the other parts of, the, of WCW that really had that machine running for 83 weeks, so to speak. Um, you know, if you look at Ruthless Aggression even, take Cena and Edge and their feud out of the equation, that's a bad, bad, bad era. You know, and right now, you know, you don't have any signature feuds, so to speak, in the WWE. You know, you're, like I said, you're only as good as your, as your hottest feud. And right now, WWE doesn't have any hot feuds. So, you know, if AEW is going to become what we hope it becomes, they're going to have to come up with that hot feud. And, you know, just because the talent's there doesn't I mean you can do it. Look at TNA. You know, there was at one point where the TNA had the majority of the leftover WSW roster when WSW went under. Um, you know, you had Sting and Angle together. Those two alone should have been able to carry that company. They did nothing with either one of them together. AJ Styles was there for how long? Samoa Joe was there for how long? Booker T was there. Foley was there. Uh, Bully Ray was there. Bubba Ray, whatever you want to call him. And on top of it, look at this way. Right now, Impact, their biggest name signing is Rob Van Dam at 47 years old. You had the freaking end of WCW. You had every one of them is literally... Hall of Famers right now, and you had them 10 years ago, and they were still in their primes, and you did nothing with them because you couldn't come up with something. They had these guys 15 years ago. Listen, this company opened up in 2002, and I'm not going to sit here and rant against TNA, but I think when people get excited about AEW, they have to say at one point had a roster that consisted of Sting, Kurt Angle, Christian, DDP, Nash, Bubba Ray Dudley, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Abyss, Sabu, Rob Van Dam, amongst others, Bobby Roode. They did nothing Eric, with it. Eric Young. They did nothing with those guys. That's a lot of talent to have on one roster, and they did nothing with it. That's why... I'm very, I wouldn't say cold on AEW, but I'm definitely lukewarm because let's be honest, if you can't make it work with that roster, it's going to be hard to make it work with any roster then. And that had nothing to do with WWE because if you think about it, WWE was not at its finest during the days of Impact being on, you know, Spike. You know, I mean, you had Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff, and Ric Flair together again. You literally had WCW 2.0 to a degree. I mean, you didn't have Goldberg. Uh, you didn't have, you know, Benoit or or Guerrero and those guys, but you had plenty of talent there, and they did nothing with it. So, you know, goes to show back to AEW, you can have all the talent in the world if you can't put them in the right place, at the right time, come up with that hot angle, you're going to do nothing with it. Another good example of this is WWE right now, this minute. You know, the roster, like I said, I don't think it's a great roster, but it's definitely not a bad roster. 
You know, it's it definitely got enough talent where with the right angles, you'll do fine. But let's look at what they've done with this roster. You turn Braun Strowman basically into a new big show. He's a heel one week, a face the next week. You have no idea why or who or what he's doing. Um, or he's fighting guy. Uh, he's fighting with a ten year old, or he's fighting two schmucks from Saturday Night Live. Right. So he's become the base of the next, the new big show. You know, Roman Reigns. God bless him. Is his cancer's in remission? Thank God. But honestly, he's back to where he was before. You know, where he's in meaningless feuds, um, doing nothing. You know, Seth Rollins is your is your champion right now. Great. Who's he feuding with? I mean, where, where are we headed with this guy? The guy won the the guy won the Universal Championship, and this next feud is with. Don't know. Well, we got we got to wait and see. Superstar shakeup. On top of it, they actually have this might be the longest period between pay per views I've seen WWE have in a long time. Seven weeks. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's a long time between pay per views. Um, you know, but you're at a point now where the WWE really, what was the last time they really had a hot angle, so to speak? I mean, I can't even think of it. Not for a very long time. You know, and like I say, when it comes to a wrestling organization or a company, whatever you want to call it, you're only as good as your last hot angle. You know, and if you look at those hot angles, the, the one thing about all those hot angles, it was the right people in the right booking situation. Austin McMahon, could anybody else have filled the character of Steve Austin in that feud? Would, you know, it's almost like you can kind of argue it, did Austin make McMahon or did McMahon make Austin? You know, it was like the perfect storm to make that that uh, that feud work, you know? And even look at the NWO, you know, Hall and Nash, yeah, they were great. Hulk Hogan made the NWO what it was. Hollywood Hulk Hogan made the NWO big. If you would have put Sting or Hart or anybody else that was rumored to be there, and not Hogan, it would have failed. Miserably. Miserably. As a matter of fact, how does this sound to you? Hogan didn't need Hall and Nash. How you like that? I'm going to say it, and I dare anybody to argue with this with me. Hogan did not need Hall and Nash. Hogan could have turned heel on his own and would have had the same effect by himself as Hollywood Hogan as he did with the NWO. I agree. I completely agree with you. Okay. You could without, have... Without, and again... I'm not. The, I was never the biggest WCW fan, but I can agree with you on this. Without Hulk Hogan, the NWO fails. Without Hulk Hogan, Hall and Nash don't become the super people that they became because of the NWO. If Sting had turned heel, like I think they were saying was originally going to be Sting with Hall and Nash, that would have bombed out. It would have been horrible. It would have been like a dead fish. Listen, I'll take this further. If Hall and Nash would have showed up cold, just as Hall and Nash, even with an invasion angle or whatnot, they would have been Diesel and Razor Ramon, you know, 2.0. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, Hogan by himself could have turned heel and gotten the same effect without the NWO behind him. It didn't hurt to have the NWO. You know, it, it was definitely, a, listen, it was probably the second biggest feud in wrestling. It was the second biggest angle in wrestling history. But like I said, you take Hogan out of the equation, it's garbage. If you replace Stone Cold Steve Austin with, uh, you know, I mean, with Undertaker, are you getting the same effect? Definitely not. No. You know, it was perfect dance partners, perfect storm, that quote unquote lightning in a bottle. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, Stone Cold Steve Austin was a huge character. Mr. McMahon took him to the next level because let's be honest, you take Mr. McMahon to me is the greatest heel in the history of professional wrestling, bar none. Number two, you can argue might be Hollywood Hulk Hogan, but Mr. McMahon is the greatest heel of all time. Mr. McMahon was a great heel in the sense that he didn't have to act. That was the impression we always had of the owner of the WWF, this evil guy that pulls all the strings. So if you think about it logically, you know, if you put anybody else in that, Mr. McMahon made a lot of people a lot bigger than they would have been just by feuding with them. You know, and, you know, it's, if you look at AEW or even WWE right now, whatever feud you put together, whatever angle you put together, you have to make sure the right people are playing the right parts. It's like a play. It's like a, it's like a TV show or, or a movie or what have you. You know, you look at the Sopranos. James Gandolfini was the perfect Tony Soprano. And people talk about how what's-his-name from Goodfellas, Ray Liotta, passed up that role. You can't see anybody else but James Gandolfini playing Tony Soprano. And I think wrestling, it's the same thing. For you to get that hot angle, you have to have the perfect storm, so to speak, the perfect characters. Austin McMahon were perfect for each other. Hollywood Hogan was perfect for the NWO. But then again, maybe the NWO was perfect for Hollywood Hogan. You know, and if you look at some of the bigger feuds, even, uh, you know, I mean, there hasn't been great feuds since then. There's been some good feuds, but... Nothing on that level where every week you were like, wow, I got to tune in and see what's next. I'm going to throw this at you, and it's minor, but I don't think the whole groundswell of Kofi Kingston would have happened if it wasn't for Vince putting his two cents in. I think Vince made Kofi for WrestleMania. Agreed. Listen, Vince still has that Midas touch. I think if you put the right person with Vince McMahon right now, you're going to wind up with a great angle. Um that being said, though, if you look in the history of wrestling at the greatest angles in the history of the business, it was perfect dance partners. Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, Hogan Andre, Hogan Savage, Hart Michaels, Piper Hogan, Hollywood Hogan, Austin McMahon, Austin Rock. Perfect dance partners. You haven't seen much of that, though, to be honest with you, since WCW and ECW went under. I mean, during Ruthless Aggression, I guess you could say Cena Edge. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I would say that was the last major feud that you could talk about that, like, head-to-head to to compare to, like, the superhero with the arch nemesis would be, like, a Hogan Savage, like you said. But I think Cena versus Edge was at last, you know, superhero versus supervillain. Yeah, I mean, you haven't seen anything remotely close to that since. Um, Gargano and Ciampa, honestly, that'd be the closest. And they, they listen, I, I, have a, I have a lot of issues with that feud. I mean, you had a year and a half long blood feud. They get back together just to break up again. I mean, I saw no reason for that. That feud was perfect as it was going. That feud, in a lot of ways, was almost like a modern-day, you know, Valentine-Santana feud, where it actually felt real. Like, you felt like these two guys really hated each other. It was really the antithesis of what a feud should be. Antithesis, I'm using the wrong word. It was really the, 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 the um, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use, really the, uh, uh, I, I can't remember. What was that? The blueprint of a perfect feud? 
Yeah, I mean, it really is, you know, to me it was it was it was the antithesis, rather what I wanted to say, of what WWE does, where they take two guys, throw them together, they get a pay-per-view match, maybe a raw or smackdown match, and maybe one more pay-per-view match, and it's done. These guys went at it for a year and a half. And it could have kept going. I mean, listen, the neck injury, obviously, you couldn't have, But that was one of those feuds that really should have gone a little further. And a little bit of blood wouldn't have hurt that feud either. I actually compare, I want to compare them almost to Dreamer and Raven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think their matches were much better. I think they're more entertaining than those two. I was never a used Tommy Dreamer fan. Well, I, I meant just the, the bad blood and the blood feud in itself, not necessarily the work rate. Yeah, like I say, it brings me back to the Santana, uh, Valentine feud, Rhodes, Flair. Um, if you will, a lot of the Savage Hogan feud was there with that. You know, people forget that. You know, Savage Hogan, when the Mega Powers exploded, they were feuding way before that. 85, they were already feuding. And those two had a long feud with some really good matches. Um, that's where I think NXT also dropped the ball. That was a feud that really never should have stopped. You know, obviously the neck injury, like I said, you couldn't prevent, but that was a feud where had those two been maybe a little better written, I think the feud really could have cemented its place, possibly as the best feud, probably in the last 10 years in WWE. So what would you think would be the best thing for NXT to improve the way it's it's building their guys, holding them back more? Absolutely. Don't be, oh, Triple H should fight Vince more on letting these guys go. My blueprint would be this. They got to stay there minimum three to five years, unless they're like a Kurt Angle or Brock Lesnar, where you just know they're going to make it. Um, I think out of the three to five years that are there, I think you got to give them a good year to really build up their character. Remember, characters evolve. And that, that's part of where I wanted to go with this. There's a long evolution in the character of, of, a, of a wrestler. You know, and my favorite example has always been Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels comes to the WWF as your pretty boy tag team wrestler with Marty Jannetty and turns heel on him. One of the best spots ever at the barbershop. Throws him through the window. I mean, even Beefcake gave him a shout out during his Hall of Fame speech. Um, and when he starts out as a heel, he starts out really very similar character to his tag team character, typical pretty boy. But now he's got the cockiness and the girl with him and he does his little pose. And and he sticks with that character for a little while. Then he becomes like, you know, the, the, the good guy and the cheesy baby face, kissing babies, et cetera, et cetera. But he's still oh, playing. He was so white meat when he, after Sid attacked him, he became such a white meat baby face. Right. And then when he joins DX with Triple H, he kind of finds himself where he becomes that classic obnoxious heel on the smaller side. So he goes against somebody who's always bigger than him, but winds up finding a way to win those matches. You know, to me, Michael's best work is late 97, early 98. Hell in the Cell, WrestleMania 14. I mean, that was to me the epitome of Michael's character as a heel. And that's where you start, that's where you really see a heel type evol an evolution of a character. You know, Cena, his character evolved. Edge, his character truly evolved. Characters evolve, but if you notice, Michaels turns heel in 92. Doesn't really find his niche as a heel till 97. That's a five-year journey of a character right there. 
So I think you have to take that same attitude with a lot of these NXT guys where they need a good three to five years for that character to evolve into what they need it to be. You know, look at Hulk Hogan. Can you imagine if they had the NXT attitude with Hulk Hogan where after a year they just brought him up and he was ready to rumble as Sterling Golden or whatever the hell he was? You know, it took him four or five years to find Hulk Hogan. And even then, he gets the belt at 84. He doesn't find the Hulk Hogan that we all know and love till probably late 86, early 87. You're talking a three-year evolution right there of the Hulk Hogan character. You know? I have, I have an even better angle, so to speak, on this whole NXT thing. You're bringing these guys up when they need these three to five years to find themselves. Then you're taking away from the guys who are there who haven't found themselves yet. And might not because they don't have that platform anymore because you got to make room for the new toys. Right, but listen, I'll take it even further. You know, when you're ready to bring these guys up, give them vignettes. You know, it's like, okay, this guy's coming in. What is he coming in for? You know, one of the best ways I saw a guy ever get introduced to a federation was when Rick Rude pops up in WCW as the Halloween Phantom. Gets I, love the I love that angle. I'm here for Sting. So you take Rick Rude, who at that point was a well-known character. The guy was already around for probably close to 10 years, was an IC champion in WWF, main event at SummerSlam. Everyone knew who Rick Rude was, but he still came in with a purpose. He was going after Sting, the ultimate babyface, the franchise player. Now you're bringing up guys, and you know it's almost like, okay, you're bringing them up. What are you bringing them up for? And that takes us to Raw and SmackDown. You're going to have both shows I'm hearing are going to be three hours long. I've always maintained the first hour of Raw should be dedicated to guys you're bringing up. Okay, you got the vignettes going. Let's bring this guy in. Let him win a couple of squash matches. See what this guy's all about. I used to love those squash matches back on Superstars back in the day. And I don't think anyone's going to complain if you give us an hour of squash matches with three or four guys that are getting vignettes that you're bringing up. The last guy they did that with was Braun. When Braun first came up, they did those squash matches, and it helped build that character. You know, and they need that, and that's where I think you're going wrong with NXT is they're bringing up the guys too fast. They're not bringing up with the vignettes. They're not bringing them up with a lot of, you know, background or anything like that. Bring these guys up properly. Give them the vignettes. Give them the background. Give them the background story. Let them win a couple of squash matches. And then you'll have something to work with. To bring these guys up cold, man, it's just it, – it's just right now the NXT formula, I think, like I said, it's good in theory. It's not working out in practice right now is the best way I could put it. So for you, the, no matter how good Triple H might book a takeover, the whole practice in itself is just flawed and bound to fail. I wouldn't call it a failure. Listen, obviously it's working. All right, these guys are coming up. They're having some They're having some success. Um. Listen, the, the entire federation now is basically NXT guys. But with that, you know, y you have to plan it a little bit better. You have to plan it a little bit more purposeful. Don't just bring up guys for the sake of bringing up guys. Bring them up for a reason. If they don't come up with a reason, the fans have no reason to get behind them. When Rick Rude pops in the WCW and goes, I'm here to go off the sting, right away, he became the number one heel in the entire company. If Rick Rude would have popped up back then and said, I'm here to dominate WCW, nobody would have given a shit. And there, right there, you also had a built-in angle. The Phantom of Mass himself, it's Rick Rude. Paulie's there with him. Medusa's there with him. They're going after 
Kevin Angle right there. I'm going after, I believe what, Sting was U.S. champion at the time, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm going after the U.S. title. Why? Because Sting is your hero. Sting is your guy. And I'm going to destroy that guy. Because I'm ravishing Rick Rude, and I'm the baddest MFer there is in WCW now. Right there, your full force angle, story, everything is there for your next pay-per-view. Yep. And that table is coming up. Now you're bringing guys up. You're bringing them out cold. You're just kind of shoving them out there. You're hoping your NXT audience catches on to it. And you know what? I don't know how big the NXT audience is. I don't think it's as big as people think it is. Because you've gotten a lot of dead reactions from a lot of guys that came up recently, if you noticed. Well, NXT is definitely a niche audience. I can agree with you on that. And I don't think most, I mean, let's look at it this way. Most of the crowds are usually parents with their kids. The kids aren't watching NXT. Listen, I'll be honest. I don't watch NXT all that much. I watch the takeovers. I'll watch a show here and there. I definitely do not follow NXT religiously. I'll be the first to admit that. So, I mean, I as much as I've fought for NXT, I'm there's a lot of points you're making today that I literally cannot argue with because they're valid, good points. I mean, listen, I, I listen. Like I always say, I love wrestling. I love everything about it. But I think right now you're getting to a point where I think there needs to be a reevaluation of what they're going to do with NXT. You know, is it going to be a true farm system where we can send guys up and bring guys down? If yes, how are we bringing these guys up? What are we introducing them as? Why are they coming up? Nobody should ever come into a federation cold. Unless, unless you're going to give them a couple of squash matches to establish themselves. It worked with Goldberg and WCW if you think about it. Actually, it's worked with a lot of guys over the years. That's basically how it was done back in the day. You get a couple of vignettes. The guy would come out on Superstars or Wrestling Challenge, squash a few guys here and there. They throw him in with a mainstay. He'd squash them, work his way up the clatter. And that's the way, that, the way it has to be done. Because right now, honestly, I mean, who's Rollins going to feud with as far as the universal title goes? Like, who's out there that we actually want to see him feud with right now? I could only come up with one name. Drew McIntyre. And my issue with Drew is, honestly, he put on, I don't know if it was Roman's fault or his fault or whatever. That was a bad match at Mania, man. Think it could have been ring rust on Roman's part? Um, You know what? There shouldn't be any ring rust because you have NXT. Go down to NXT and practice. Nobody has an excuse in the WWE to have ring rust anymore. You got that whole entire training center. They could have gone down there and planned out that match. I don't know. I'll tell you the one guy I would not mind seeing in a few with Seth Rollins right now is Samoa Joe. I love Samoa Joe. Him squashing Rey Mysterio at WrestleMania, I loved every second of that. That was a perfect way to, 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 to have Joe. And then the way he was with R-Truth this week, and then Braun. What about what do you think about a Braun program with Samoa yeah, Joe? If Samoa Joe goes over, he'll be very happy with that. If Samoa Joe does not go over, I will not be happy. I, I think Samoa Joe right now is a push and needs to get a push. How is it that Braun Strowman can turn over a truck, a limo, come live in a garbage truck for a week and a half, but he couldn't get Samoa Joe up for a power slam? Uh, listen, the booking of Braun Strowman, <laughs> Braun Strowman is literally the worst booking I've seen of a major player since the big. I mean, it, it's they've literally to another big show. You could have had 
a legitimate good big man there. Something they haven't had in a long time. And they blew it with him. And listen, it's part of the whole, you know, mentality of WWE these days with their 50-50 booking. You know, I don't have an issue with 50-50 booking in a long feud. Like Ciampa and Gargano, that was a perfect feud for 50-50 booking. If you know you're going somewhere in a feud and you want to build both guys up at the same time, you go 50-50. But to go 50-50 in every freaking feud makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I, I agree with you. I, I, I usually like to argue with you. There's usually an argument to be made, but I literally have no argument with you on the things you're saying today. And that's bothering me as much as it's bothering me, the yellow tag team. Who was the yellow tag team? You said who it was. It was what's their name? Oh, was it? Okay. You know, and it's, but, and, you know, speaking of tag teams, speaking of tag teams, oh, man, this is grinding my gears. You have the revival on Raw. They're a good tag team, they're a good tag team champion. I, I, Hawkins and Wright, come on, man. No reason for that. I'm not even going to get into it. I don't think it even deserves a discussion. No reason for that. You know, it's just what I really hope, though, what I really hope with AEW is that they do the absolute polar opposite of WWE so we don't so we don't wind up with the TNA. I think the problem with TNA, going back to that, was that they, they almost tried to emulate the WWE product. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you got to do your own thing. The one thing that really separated WCW from the WWE, especially during the NWO era, is how different the two of them were. If you look at WCW and WWE during, say, New Generation era of 93 through 95, whatever it was, I mean, they were exactly the same. And I think TNA at first tried to be different, but then it was like, okay, let's just do what they're doing. If AEW can stay to themselves and stay in their own product realm, so to speak, I think they'll be able to be fine as long as they have the right writers. I also hope they're not working everyone to making it, they have this grand plan and it's a half cock plan. I really hope they're taking their time and doing things the right way for the sake of, for the sake of the wrestling business. Listen, we're going to see a lot more stuff pop up over the next few weeks, I assume, because right now you're at a point where you're about six weeks away from their first pay-per-view. So whatever they have up their sleeve, they need to get it going and fast because, I mean, six weeks is going to fly by. And May 15th is going to be a big day for them because that's when the upfronts are for, uh, what are they, Warner, Warner Entertainment, whatever the – TBS and TNT are going yep. these days. They're going to have. They're, they're putting out all. They're getting the uh, advertising, the sponsors ready. Um, you know, listen, they got work to do. I hope they do it. It'll be good for the business. And if not, we'll be sitting here bitching about WWE for the rest of eternity. You know. Yep. And we'll do it again next week because you know what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go in my room and I'm going to go lay on the floor you and me have a both. tantrum. Okay. Don't forget to click on the link. Subscribe to. This podcast, and we're coming out every Sunday. We'll be dropping new episodes, maybe even some bonus episodes during the week. Well, that's it for tonight, boys and girls. Enjoy your Saturday night. Don't do anything I would do or wouldn't do. And we're going to see you next week. And uh, you know what? Hopefully, Raw and SmackDown, the Superstar Shakeup, is going to be a lot better than this past well, week. But I have a feeling we'll still have a lot to talk about. We'll have a lot to talk about. For that, I'm Avi.
I'm Brandon. Have a good one, guys.